money, something a lot of people don't like to talk about, especially in church. Jesus, however, talked a lot about money and what we do with our money has a strong connection to living a blessed life. Join us and our lead pastor, Brian Lane, as we look at what a truly blessed life looks like in part two of our series, The Blessed Life. That Jesus knows, and he did speak about in his when one of the gospels was that there is a strong connection between our hearts and our wallet. There's like a string that runs between the two, a string that's really hard to break, bend, or, or do anything with because we make so many decisions based upon what our wallet says. And so a lot of times our wallet has control over our heart. And so what we did was we looked at a couple of areas in our life that we needed to look at and shore up and deal with in order to be giving people people because giving will give us the blessed life that we are looking for. And the first thing that we had to deal with was a selfish heart. We're never going to have a truly blessed life if we are constantly battling and fighting and being selfish. And so that was the first thing that we needed to deal with. But we said, well, how do we deal with selfishness? How do we get rid of selfishness in our life? And what we found the way to do that was to be generous. Be generous with our time. Be generous with our talents. Be generous with our treasures. And selfishness, as I said, is not something that's easy to overcome because we are all born selfish. But hopefully as we grow up, as we become adults, as we get more mature, we're not as selfish as we were when we are kids. And we looked at, you know, kids and what they're like with their toys. And if you ask a four-year-old to share their toys, there's no way on earth any four-year-old is sharing their toys with any other punk that walks into their house, okay? And, and, so, and so we saw that as we grow, we become less selfish. And so what we did was we then moved that over into our walk with Jesus. And we've got a heavenly Father who gives and gives and gives and gives. And so the question for us at that point was, where are we at when it comes to giving? Are we growing into what our Heavenly Father is and becoming less selfish like our Heavenly Father? Or are we still holding on to things that don't really matter? And where we are at in that will tell us where we need to go and where we need to move in our life. And if we will give in some areas but not give in other areas, that stronghold is never going to be broken. You cannot hold on to one area and then claim you are not selfish. All right, then the next thing we talked about we had to deal with is a grieving heart. A grieving heart is particular to our finances. What is it? It's a heart that grieves the loss of whatever is giving, given, something like buyer's remorse. If we suffer from a grieving heart, we need to change that. And so how do we change that? And it becomes about changing our perspective on the things that we have. How do we do that? We need to look at the stuff that we have and change our wording from it belongs to me and change our wording to it belongs to God. And when we look at everything that we have in the perspective of it belongs to God, then it's not so much as a big deal of giving it away. I remember Charles last week, you know, he came up and he willingly gave the money to me. Why? Because it wasn't his in the first place. And that's the attitude and the perspective that we need to have when it comes to our life and everything that we've got. But what, we've what I discovered, what I thought was that the reason a lot of believers struggle with the whole concept of giving is because they've gotten over what Jesus has done for them. They've gotten over their salvation. And when we understand each and every single day that Jesus came and died and gave his life for me, then there's no other perspective that we can really have other than if Jesus gave it all for me, then I should be willing to give it all for him. 
All right, so this week, we're going to talk more specifically about money, okay? We do one message, one series on money every single year, and so if you are here and you're thinking to yourself, oh God, here we go. This is the one time you've got to hear it this year, okay? And so if you can hold on for a couple of weeks, okay, we'll get to stuff, other stuff that's not so personal, I guess, so just hold on for a couple of weeks. And so we're going to start off with a test this morning. And so what I did was I gave all of the ushers boxes of number two pencils and those little bubble sheets, and they're going to hand those out, and we're going to take a quick test. Everybody, you like those tests? Everybody, who liked tests? When you'd walk into class and the teacher said, I got a surprise test for you, how many were like, yes? Yeah, nobody, right? Nobody likes a surprise test. But here's the deal. On a regular basis, God tests us. Every time we get a paycheck, we receive a test from God. And the test question is this, who are you going to worship with your check? Will it be Bank of America? Will it be Visa? Will it be your car? Or will it be Jesus? Because here's something that all of us miss. See, Bank of America and Visa are not there to bless you. Can I tell you that? Bank of America and Visa are there to put you in as much bondage to them as they possibly can. The only one in this whole scenario that is out there and has the power to bless you is God. And so we need to start there. And you may be saying to yourself, well, why do we even have to talk about this? Well, this is the deal. I want all of us in this room, wherever we are at financially, to live that blessed financial life. I don't want you to live your life under a curse. And we're going to talk about what I mean by living under a curse in a couple of minutes. Uh, we're going to be in a couple of different sections of Scripture, and we're going to be hitting a few others this morning. So there's going to be a lot of Bible in this, and so you can hold on for that. But our main verses this morning will be Malachi chapter 3 and 2 Chronicles chapter 31. And so if you have a Bible and would like to turn to those places uh, and hold on to them, you are welcome. If you're not familiar where those, will be, where those can be found, they'll be on the screen behind me for you to follow along. But uh, what we're going to focus on today is this, the basic thought is that tithing is scriptural and it's an ordinance of the Christian life. So what's an ordinance? Okay, an ordinance is something that is a principle of ordinary behavior. And so when I say ordinance of Christian life, what I mean is it's something that's ordinary to the life of somebody who follows Jesus. Not only is it part of the ordinary Christian experience, it's also a piece in our puzzle to this revive and renewal theme that we have throughout this year. Why do I say that? Because you can't expect God's hand to be upon your life if you are keeping one area from God. If you are looking at your life and you're saying, God, you know, you can have everything, but I'm going to keep my wallet over here. You just got to leave that alone. You're never going to see God's blessing totally in your life. You're not going to see renewal totally in your life. And so let's start off with our first text this morning, Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 12. And it says this, I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? 
But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Okay, so let's start, beginning of this verse, talking about tithe. What is that? We've got to answer that question. It's a Hebrew word for tenth. And uh, this word, the tenth, the ten, is really interesting. We're going to get there to in a minute, but we find this word very early in the Bible. We find it uh, far back in Genesis chapter 14. In Genesis 14, Abram's nephew Lot, he is out, he's captured by these three kings that come into the land, and they take Lot captive, and, and so Abram decides he's going to gather an army and go up and go out and get these guys, capture these guys who have come and taken his nephew. And so, so his army goes out, and they recapture uh, Lot and his family, and all kinds of other stuff. They just get all kinds of plunder from this. And the Bible says that Abram, when he got this plunder, took it to the king uh, uh, of of Salem, um, Melchizedek, and he gave him a tenth of all that he got. And so that was where this word tithe starts. And from there, this becomes the standard of giving to God. And we're going to see why this tenth thing is so important in a minute. From then on out, God asked for a tithe, a tenth, to be brought to his storehouse, his temple, or for today, his church. And so let's talk about this 10 and 10% thing. Because there seems to be a connection between tests that God gives and the number 10. And uh, so I'm going to take this little test. And so I'm going to ask a question, and then I need all of you guys to answer back to me the answer because you will know the first couple, and then you'll see a pattern, I hope, developing here and be able to answer the rest of the questions. And so the first question is this. How many plagues were brought upon to test Pharaoh? Ten. Okay. How many commandments did God give? Ten. Okay. Now, how about this one? This one's a little harder, but I think you'll get it. In Numbers 14, how many times did God test Israel in the wilderness? Ten. How many times did Jacob's father-in-law change Jacob's wages? Ten. How many days did Daniel tell the king of Babylon to test him and his friends? Ten. Okay, how many virgins were tested with their lamps and oil in Matthew chapter 25? Okay, Um, how about this? How many days of testing are mentioned in Revelation? Ten. All right, finally, how many disciples were there? No, there were 12. Come on. I was just seeing if you were paying attention with that one. Paul, you failed. I'm sorry, buddy. All right. So what I'm getting at here with this whole thing is that this, and this is the first point, tithing is a test. It's a 10-test by God, just like he tests in the other areas that we see recorded in the Bible. But this test is not just for us, okay? This test is equally a test for God. Because in that text that we read in Malachi, it's the only place in Scripture that we have God actually saying, okay, not only will I test you, but I want you to test me. And what's interesting here is that word that's used for test in the Hebrew, it's actually the word that they used for purity of gold back in that day. And so really what God was saying there is this, 
I want to test and see how pure you are so that you can test and see how pure I am. God is challenging us to test his purity, his righteousness, and his holiness with this whole concept of the tithe. That's what he's doing. That's why the 10% is there. And I believe when we are willing to say, when we are willing to thank God, worship God, and walk in faith and believe that 90% with God's blessings will go further than 100% without God's blessings is when we pass the test. And it's also when God will show us his purity and pour out his blessings on us. Now, there are a couple of arguments that will people, people will push back on with this, and uh, they'll use them to say that what I'm saying is incorrect. First, they will say it was that tithing was something that was from the law. And what I mean by the law is it's the, the Old Testament, uh, the thing that God handed down, the Ten Commandments and, and all the other rules and regulations uh, to the Jewish society. And Jesus did away with the law when he died, and so therefore it's not for us today. Well, there's one issue with that, and that, that is that tithing actually predates the law. Here are a couple of places that people tithe before the law was given. We talked about the first one a few minutes ago in the book of Genesis chapter 14, Abraham or Abram with Melchizedek. He gave 10%. That was way before the law. We also have uh, Jacob in uh, Genesis 28, 22, and he's on a night of wrestling and fighting with God. And, and in the morning, he gets up and he says to God, God, you know what? I'm going to give you a tenth of all that you give to me. And that was before the law as well. And so the tithe uh, was there before the law was ever established. And so it's not something that predates the law. It was a principle before the law. Then the second thing that people will say is this. If we're supposed to tithe, why didn't Jesus tell us to? Jesus says a whole lot about money, but he never says we are to tithe. Uh, well, there are several things today that we believe that Jesus never mentioned, but yet it doesn't stop us from following those. Uh, Jesus never mentioned once speaking in tongues, nor do we have an incident where Jesus even practiced speaking in tongues. But as a Pentecostal church in the Assemblies of God, we practice speaking in tongues. We had a tongue last Sunday morning during our service, and so I don't have anyone standing up and saying, oh, hold on, Jesus didn't do that. What are you doing? A second thing, Jesus never said that kidnapping anyone was wrong. Nowhere in the New Testament did Jesus say, listen, don't kidnap anyone. So does that mean, and the Old Testament does make it clear that we're not supposed to kidnap anyone. That's part of the law. So can we conclude now that because Jesus didn't reiterate it, that it's okay to kidnap people? Yes? No? I mean, yeah, Jesus didn't say it, so it must be okay. All right, now this one is a little intense, so be prepared, all right? Jesus never said it was wrong to molest children. The Old Testament does. So does that suddenly make that okay? No, we would never say that. Yet when it comes to tithing, we jump on that like some of you jumped on the Eagles bandwagon after the Super Bowl last Sunday. <laughs> so how about this? If I can show you a place where Jesus said to tithe, would you believe it? More than that, would you practice it if you are a believer? Matthew 23, verse 23. This is what Jesus says. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, 
mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. See, he calls out the Pharisees for how they are handling tithing. They get a little bit of spice, and they will take 10% of that and bring that to the temple, but they are not practicing the more weightier things of justice, mercy, and faithfulness. But what Jesus tells them is this. You should have practiced justice, mercy, and faithfulness without neglecting the other part. What was the other part? The tithing. Okay, neglect means to abandon or desert. Jesus told them not to abandon tithing, not to desert tithing, but far too many people in the church have done exactly that. And when we abandon tithing, we're abandoning something that Jesus told us not to abandon. Then the last thing this morning is that when we do neglect it, when we do abandon it, we miss out on God's blessing. And with this last point, we're going to go to the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 31, be reading verses 4 through 10. Uh, 2 Chronicles is in the Old Testament. Uh, it'll be on the screen behind me if you don't know where it's at. This is what it says. He ordered the people living in Jerusalem to give the portion due the priests and Levites so they could devote themselves to the law of the Lord. As soon as the order went out, the Israelites generously gave the first fruits of their grain, new wine, olive oil, honey, and all that the fields produced. They brought a great amount, a tithe of everything. The people of Israel and Judah who lived in the towns of Judah also brought out a tithe of their herds and flocks and a tithe of the holy things dedicated to the Lord their God, and they piled them in heaps. They began doing this in the third month and finished in the seventh month. When Hezekiah and officials came and saw the heaps, they praised the Lord and blessed his people Israel. Hezekiah asked the priests and Levites about the heap. And Azariah, the chief priest from the family of Zadok, answered, Since the people began to bring their contributions to the temple of the Lord, we've had enough to eat and plenty to spare because the Lord has blessed his people and this great amount is left over. All right, so here's what's happened in Israel, or in, actually in Judah. The economy in Judah is in recession. Okay, Hezekiah is not sure what to do with this. And so as king, it being a theocracy, he goes in and he says, look, guys, we're going to command you guys to tithe as a nation. And so he goes out and he says, it's time for you to tithe. And so the nation starts to tithe. They bring in all of the elements that they needed to bring in. And I guess desperate times call for people to do desperate things. And so the people were desperate to see their economy turn around. And so they brought in the tithe to God's storehouse. Well, when Hezekiah comes back after seven months, here's what happens. He looks around at all of the stuff that's in the temple, and his mind is blown. He doesn't understand why there is so much stuff there, because he knew there was a recession going on, and he was actually concerned. He was concerned about the people. He was afraid that the people of the nation had actually given too much, he was afraid that they had brought in too much stuff into God's storehouse. And so he's like, well, what about the people? And the priests are like, listen, Hezekiah, the people are doing awesome. Their food, they've got the same sort of situation at their houses and their homes as we've got here at the temple. They've got it piled up. They've got sheep. They've got goats. They've got camels. They've got, they've got fruits. They've got vegetables. They've got everything that they need in their house. They aren't lacking anything. And this is the stuff that they just keep bringing in because God keeps blessing them. Here's the deal. See, there's one of two stories that I get from people. The first, well, there's three stories, actually. The first story we already talked about. You know, it's not, it's Old Testament, and Jesus never said to do it. So we already talked about those. All right. The second story is, man, you know what? 
My life has been so blessed because I've given to God. Then the third story that I usually hear is that I can't give. I can't do it. I can't afford to. Once I get more, then I'll give more. Listen, tithing is what breaks the curse over our finances. It's what prevents the pests from devouring what you have. It's what keeps the fruit from falling off the trees and rotting on the ground. Some of you who can't afford it, you would maybe push back on me and say, well, you know what, you don't get it because you haven't been in the spot that I am in. I'll grant you that. Maybe I haven't. But have you ever considered that maybe I haven't been in that spot because I've been faithful to God to tithe when he asks for it? Just a thought. I'm going to close with this story to illustrate this. All right, let's say I was going away on a journey. I was going to be gone for years, and Dana and the kids, they were going to stay here in Mulberry, and so I approached three of you. Um, let's just say I approached Charles, and I approached Terry, and I approached Paul, and I said, okay, here's what I'm going to do for you guys. Every month, I'm going to write you guys a $10,000 check, $10,000 to Charles, $10,000 to Terry, $10,000 to Paul. All I ask is that you take that $10,000 and give $1,000 of that to my wife as she's here by herself. You get to keep the other $9,000. And so after a few months, I, I call up Dana, and I, we're talking about how things are going, and I say, how, how, how's it going with, are you getting the, the money that you're supposed to be getting? And, you know, she says, yeah, you know, uh, Terry, he's, every month, as soon as he gets that, th that $10,000, I've got a $10,000, i got a $1,000 check in my hands. And she goes, and Paul, man, every month, when he gets the $10,000, I get $2,000. And then she stops, and I said, I'm, <laughs> I'm not, Charles, Charles is a, he, he's a giver, okay? But Charles... Charles, what's up with Charles? Well, you know, the first month he gave 700. Then the next month it was 450. Then the next month it was two. And then I haven't seen anything since then. I mean, what do you think my response would be in that situation? I wouldn't send Charles $10,000 anymore, would I? I'd take it and give half of it to Terry and half of it to Paul. Because I know that they're going to take care of my bride. Think about this. Jesus told us he was going on a journey. And Jesus has a bride. Do you know who that bride is? It's us. But all he asked is that we would take care of his bride when he was gone. He will give to us, and he's just saying, if you'll just give a small portion of it back to me and my bride so that my bride can live and function and do what it's called to do, I'm going to pour out all kinds of blessings on you. But even more than that, just think about yourself in that situation. How personal to you would it be if your spouse, if, you, if that's what you were doing for your spouse and somebody was not 
carrying out their end of the bargain. You'd be pretty ticked, right? How do you think Jesus feels when his people won't take care of his bride? It's real personal to him. It's real personal to him. We're talking about the bride that he came and he died for. And so why would Jesus bless someone who's not taking care of his bride? Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, God, you've asked us to take care of your bride. Lord, help our hearts be right in saying, you know what, I need to take care of my Savior's bride. I need to love like my Savior loved and do what he's called me to do to take care of this bride. And so, Jesus, let that be our hearts in this room. God, let us be people who are passionate about the bride of Christ so that this bride can continue to advance the mission of telling people about who you are and seeing lives changed. God, we thank you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the FAM Church Podcast. FAM Church is here to connect people to Christ. If you live in or are visiting the Lakeland, Florida area, we would love for you to join us on Sundays at 1030 a.m. You can also check us out online at myfamchurch.com. Thank you again and have an amazing day.